whether it's no straws or paper straws, home composting systems, reusable shopping bags, the everyday individual, you and I, we're exhausted by the amount of small things we can do to offset climate change. And none of it seems enough to have the big enough impact that we need to right this ship. So how can we make sense of the value our individual contributions bring to fighting climate change. That's why my guest this week is Alba Forns. She is the COO and co-founder of Climatize. Founded in 2019, Climatize is a platform enabling individuals and organizations to easily and automatically invest in the marketplace of climate projects from as little as $5. Climatize screens projects to determine their economic and technical viability, then post them to to their community of investors. It is such an innovative solution for the everyday climate-minded investor and provides incredible help to really important mid-sized projects that struggle to get traditional financing. Alba will talk to us about that more in a bit. I am so excited. But first, welcome to this week's episode of Make Sense, a video podcast that simplifies complex issues at the intersection of tech and people. So whether you're totally hyped on artificial intelligence and ready for the robot takeover, or you want to crawl into a cave, join a hippie commune after deleting all of your social media accounts. I'm here with my guests to help make sense of what's going on so we can all design ourselves into future make better choices. My name is Lindsay Tabus. I'm a product market fit strategist, innovation consultant, and venture fundraising advisor. If you're new here, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's make sense of our individual contributions and what they bring to fighting climate change. Alba. How are you? Hi, Lindsay. I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited about this episode. So excited. And you have a great smile. So we're going to have a good time. Uh, You are 2023 Young Energy Ambassador, and you appeared on Forbes 30 Under 30 for Social Impact. You also went through Techstars Boulder 2022. You're really, really busy, aren't you? Yes, and that's a that's a good way to put it. Actually, last week I was attending a conference in Brussels for the European Commission as a young energy ambassador. That was the that was a great experience. But yes, if you list all of those things together, I it looks like I'm pretty busy this these days. Are there any accolades that I listed or did not list that you find to be the most meaningful and rewarding? I think you listed uh, the most important ones, at least for now. I, well, my co-founder and I are particularly particularly proud about the Forbes 30 Under 30. That's the very recent one. It's for social impact as well, which is very special for me. And um, yeah, I mean, those are the ones that I have for now, at least. I will tell you that in my journey in the startup world, you know, I went to Silicon Valley when I was 21, 22 with a twinkle in my eye. I had huge startup dreams. And I think one of them was hoping that I could uh, get on a 30 under 30 list. I did not get on that list. Um, And maybe it's because I was thinking too much about being on the list versus <laughs> what it is that was going to really, really make me happy. So I am uh, envious, but in a good way to see someone like you make it on that list. Was that something that you had ever thought of wanting to be on? 
Actually, yes. So funnily, my co-founder and I always joked about it. We were like, well, at some point we will be on the list. But to be honest, I never expected it to be so fast. That's we are 20, I'm, yeah, I'm 25. My co-founder is 26. So we knew we had some time. Five <laughs> years is not time to get in the list. But uh, that, what, that's why it came as a, as a big surprise for us, because we did want it at some point, but we didn't expect it to come so soon, which is, a, which is always a good thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. Awesome. So let's get started. We'll start with our first segment, Crystal Ball. What does the future hold? This is where I call out interesting predictions for this year and the experts, my guests, they tell us their hot take. I'm going to pitch you some headlines and trends. And Alba, I want you to say, yes, I want that to happen. Or yes, I know that is happening. Or no, I don't want that to happen. Or no, that's just not happening as quick as we might think. Stuff a lot like like that. We want to hear kind of, you know, the media gets so ahead of, of what's actually happening. And, and we want to know what's real and what's what's not real. So. Let's start with some climate uh, trend. Using the sea to power electronics. So there's a global shortage of minerals needed for electrical vehicle batteries, and we need to harvest minerals from the ocean, but also the power of the wind and ocean out there for electricity. What do you know? Is this happening? Is people are exploring this? Yes, um, this is definitely happening and it is very necessary. I'm no expert though when it comes to marine technology, but yes, uh, please, we need every solution for fighting climate change. So I'm all in for this. Yeah, and I think we are seeing uh, some limitations in lithium batteries and their ability to uh, store uh, energy that we collect from uh, solar and green energy, you know, wind, whatever. So we need we need to find other minerals that can help us <laughs> in in uh, getting these batteries uh, up and running um, and and servicing or meeting our needs. Right. I'm definitely going to be bringing on um, someone who works in the energy space and utilities, because this is a growing topic uh, that is coming up on the show. But also, if you follow me on LinkedIn, I asked a question uh, in June, you know, what do people want to learn about? And this is definitely high up on the list of what is interesting. So next headline, Alba, cities leveraging technology to beat the heat. So 70% of world population will be living in cities by 2050, and urban centers will have to double down on keeping everyone cool, public fountains, trees, awnings, and real-time data, solar paint technologies. What do you know? Have, did you learn anything last week about, about what cities are doing to beat the heat? First of all, I will say that it is extremely warm so it is necessary i don't know about where you are based but lately it's just been impossible i'm a runner i try to go running every single day and it's just so warm that it's impossible to go outside so it will be necessary i do think that we need to focus on energy efficiency though as well because 
when it comes to beating the heat, we also need to be mindful of our consumption. And by having more energy efficient buildings, it's it's just a way to ensure that the temperature is, again, a reasonable temperature where we can go on with our daily lives, but at the same time that we're not uh, consuming too much energy to do so. Yeah. So would this be, and and tell me if I have this right, you know, when you are in really dense parts of cities, like it's often hotter, not just because the buildings are blocking maybe the wind from the outside, but uh, because some of the buildings are old or using old systems, they're just giving off a lot more heat than they should. Is that kind of what you're talking about too, when it comes to energy efficiency? Yeah, when I was talking about energy efficiency, I really meant it more when you're actually inside of the building, so when you're at home or in your office building, because in the end, that's where really you go on with your activities. When it comes to outside, being outside the building, being on the streets, for instance, I do think that a great solution is as simple as adding more trees. Yeah. They create shade. Uh, obviously, it's way nicer to walk around a city that has a lot of green. Um, and again, I'm not uh, an expert on on this, but I do think that just adding green spaces to cities just creates, a, creates again, a temperature that's a little bit more bearable because of the shade. And, and also, again, it's just a nicer city to live right. in if there's more right. green spaces. But we need to do more than just putting up tree cover. We need to look at the the building's use of energy too, right? Exactly. Old, outdated light bulbs. Uh, you know, we're trying to replace them with LEDs. LEDs are more energy efficient. They give off less heat, but the, and the existing light bulbs that a lot of indoor farms, for instance, use are so um, they're so cheap to get started, but they use so much more energy. Uh, and, and give off heat too. So I do know exactly. that. Yeah. Things as easy as closing windows. The other day I went to a meeting and surprisingly they had the AC on and all the windows open. So things like these, can we can just get started with them today. They seem pretty obvious, but then you go to places and things still happen or yeah, replacing your windows, just making sure that buildings are insulated. So again, if we have, you know, like air conditioning on, or, or a heating system, we're just being very energy efficient. Yes, great. Okay, so the next one is uh, fintech. Fintech's rapid regeneration. So fintech startups are facing some rocky market conditions right now. I mean, all startups are, but fintech particularly. And many are adapting by expanding into new spaces like catering to enterprise. So you have a fintech solution. It is largely B2C to individual investors. Uh, what kind of pressure are you facing in that as a fintech startup uh, do you see a lot of start fintech startups having to switch uh, their business models right now because of the market conditions? Definitely. Uh, the market conditions are, are not easy right now for fintech founders or any kind of founder in general, especially if not only in the fintech space, but if you're B2C, it's just a scary place to be. But uh, for now, we don't have plans to, to shift. We are a marketplace, so we do have a B2B and a B2C side at the same time. But um, we're just 
we're just open to continuing in that space because we do think it is necessary. But obviously, when you're fundraising, when you're talking to investors, B2B SaaS uh, tends to be um, the go-to for many. But I also think there's beauty in, you know, going for hard markets and going for it anyway. So for now, we are, we're staying strong where we are. We're doing great. But I do know that, that some founders uh, had to make the decision to pivot, which is also okay. So yes, definitely yeah. there's, uh, there's been a change and there's a lot of people moving to B2B and, and FinTech. Yeah. And we could have a whole nother conversation about how user acquisition for B2C is very challenging. And I don't blame you. It is, it is scary. <laughs> you, you know, you need thousands and thousands and thousands of users. And some days it feels like you're begging one to join at a time. So I, I totally, totally get that. I'll put a pin in that one. Uh, so virtual power plants. This is the last. Last one. I'm trying to make sense of this. So renewable energy sources like wind farms and solar panels really rely on weather conditions, which cause a lot of variability in our supply. On top of that, our traditional grids are having reliability issues. Hello, Texas, for any anyone in America or, or abroad that you know, has heard about these brown and blackouts. So the idea is that we would use virtual power plants, decentralizing where we get our energy across a variety of suppliers, including the renewable energy sources and the traditional energy sources. Do you see projects like this? Yes, for sure. And I also am a huge fan and I advocate for a decentralized model. So that's that's very, very necessary. We really need to think about the energy transition as obviously not decarbonized, but decentralized as well. So, so again, you know, like we can ensure that we can fight those reliability issues and, and that we don't have to face blackouts. Yeah. Uh, on. Yeah. I, for anyone listening to just the audio, Alba had just like a shoulder shrug, like, duh virtual power plants. <laughs> They're coming. <laughs> um, and, and I believe this too, you know, again, going back to the battery, the battery storage problem. Uh, I have solar panels on, on my house, you know, at a certain point, uh, I, I don't yet have battery to store that energy on my side. Uh, it just goes right, whatever extra goes right back into, into the grid. Um, but you know, cities are and energy utilities are limited in how much they can expand the actual grid at this point. So they they do need to look at other ways to, again, decentralize and store energy in different places. So awesome. I'm excited for that to come to reality as well. So now that we've done, you know, a nice climate and fintech warm up, let's move into our second segment, Alba, deep dive. In this segment, we get into all the details about a specific technology's implications for everyday people. So this is your opportunity to tell us about the genesis of Climatized. You know, what unique experience in your life led you to commit to such an audacious vision? Sure. It actually dates back to 2019. So so it's been a while. I, I was in Europe with my with my co-founder and we attended the global climate strike that was organized by a group called Fridays for Future. So we went to the strike and we saw a hundred thousand people 
protesting for climate action. So you can imagine that gave us huge hope, motivation, but at the same time, sadness, because we knew that the next day we would all go home and nothing would be different. And it cannot be that the only thing that you can do as an individual is make a cardboard sign. So we sat down, we started thinking into ways in which we could convert all of that collective energy into tangible climate action. And that was really the catalytic moment of us coming up with the idea of what climatize is today. So basically a way of enabling everyone to invest in renewable energy projects from as little as their spare change. And the reason why I say invest is because when you think about the energy transition, it is actually a huge investment opportunity. But when we talk to the individuals, we always are framing this around sacrifice. So change your diet, travel in a more sustainable way and make a lot of compromises, which to be honest, I do all of them. But that we need to see beyond that because, again, it is also an opportunity and we really want to enable everyday people to feel empowered to, again, invest and, and potentially make returns from investing in renewable energy projects. I like the word you use, empower, feel empowered, and the way you framed that a lot of the actions individuals take to continue you know, help fight climate change are kind of negative, right? You know, you have to, behavior change is really hard, right? Remembering to bring reusable bags, remembering to bring your own silverware, your own straws, you know, trying to buy in bulk instead of all these plastic containers. It's like, it's a lot of effort without any immediate satisfaction or gratification or immediate, you know, positive reinforcement. Whereas investing in something, and one doesn't require too much of a habit change because most of us are are, are hope, hopefully saving some money and putting money towards, uh, you know, investments. Uh, but also there's a, it, there's a positive to it, right? You get to kind of see that project take off. You get to join a community and um, explain kind of the financials of it. You do eventually get a return, right? Exactly. So when you're investing, and also something that's important to mention here is that investing, it can seem easy for many, but it's actually hard to get started. So we're trying to make it super easy. So you download the app and you can invest again from very little dollar amounts, just because we want to make it easy. We want to remove the barriers to entry. And the financials behind it is basically you select a project and you actually have access to all of the information. So there is the document that compiles all of our research, all of our diligence on that project, and that enables you to make the decision of whether you want to invest or not. And then after you make the investment, you can, again, potentially earn a return. The information is in the project financials, but Speaking to one of the projects that we just launched very, very recently that has already been fully funded, it was an 8% annual interest for five years, and you would earn interest during those five years and the full principal at the end of year five. So it just varies a little bit from project to project, but um, yeah, that, that's an example that, that maybe helps give some clarity around what to expect. How does Climatize 
differ from, you know, Kiva. Kiva has been around for a really long time. Uh, investors make, uh, make a loan, you know, that loan eventually gets paid back. There's some, hopefully there's some, some return there. How does, how does Climatize compare and contrast to Kiva? Sure. So we only focus on climate projects. And from what I understand, I've never used Kiva before, but um, I know my co-founder is a huge fan. Uh, at Kiva, correct me if I'm wrong, you're lending the money and then that money is being recycled, right? So you potentially earn a return and then that money goes and is reinvested somewhere else. So another entrepreneur can make use of that money, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So in our case, you're cashing out that money quicker and it's not being reinvested so you're investing in a project in particular and then you would get your interest and whenever the project you know you've reached the maturity date you get your principal and your interest back okay if you want you can always reinvest it which is always a good thing since you know like you're kind of like still Mm -hmm. continuing that, that cycle of impact but um you're cashing out the money now are people uh what kind of returns can people expect Actually, it varies a lot. We we are the marketplace, so we're not the ones imposing the returns. However, our projects tend to range between six and fourteen percent. Okay, so that is that how much your loans to the projects are uh, charging? Exactly. That's what that's what you would get as a, as an investor. So if you were to invest, you would get between six to fourteen percent annually. Obviously, depending on the project, there's a fixed. Got it. So you sign up to a project, it's 10%, you're going to, to get that 10% annually. Cool. So it's almost like a like a CD, right? You put your money in, uh, you wait a really long time, and then that money <laughs> comes back and there's like a fixed interest rate. So it, it, it seems not risky. Are you guys FDIC insured? Yes, yes, we yeah. are. Cool. And so tell us about the projects besides them being climate uh, oriented, renewable energy type projects. uh, What else makes these projects unique that they would work with you for funding versus traditional sources? Sure. So first, there is a lack of funding um, when it comes to the energy transition, and especially when we're talking about small to medium scale CNI projects, so commercial and industrial. The reason being, banks normally don't provide loans to smaller projects just because it doesn't really make sense for them in terms of time investment and, and even again, the credit, on- even like local community banks and credit unions, they don't they don't address the those small to mid sized projects. Obviously, there's credit unions that do support some kind of projects as well, but again, you know, like the, the projects that I am actually talking about, they're very very small. So a credit union, for instance, can invest in a portfolio that's under $25 million. A larger bank probably only looks at projects or like portfolios that are in aggregate over $100 million. We're really going to very small. So our first project, for instance, was half a million. Our sweet spot is between two and five million. And the reason why we're selecting those small projects is because they're also very community focused. The smaller the project the more community engagement that usually has. So that's why we really want to focus on those smaller projects. And with crowdfunding, you're also enabling everyone to participate. Again, 
from a sitter is $5 to go up to whatever amount you want to invest, depending on if you're a retail or accredited investor. But by enabling project developers to raise from the community, they can also fight the NIMBY effects and mm-hmm. also get their community to feel ownership and participate in that project as well. I, I love that. So when you launch a new project, do you work with that project team to introduce Climatize to their community to get them involved in the funding process? Exactly. Yes, that's exactly what we do. So the first project that we had was a community solar for low-income families in in Massachusetts. The next two that we have are one of them is for a Shakespeare theater in New Jersey, and the other one is for a congregation in New Jersey as well. So as you can see, they're really tied to organizations directly who are interested in supporting those projects as well. And the good thing as well, you were mentioning about the types of projects They're all renewable energy projects, but we always try to match it with social impact as well. So this first one, for instance, that was for low-income families, subscribers get a 50% reduction on their electricity bill. So that is already helping low-income families access cheaper electricity and cleaner um, energy as well. So that's really awesome. How do these projects learn about you? How do you find them and how do they learn about you? Sure. I mean, there's there's many different ways in which we can connect. There's a lot of inbound that we have been having throughout these last years, but we also have a partnership with the U.S. Department of Energy. Great. It is National Community Solar Partnership. We've been part of that for last two years. I was part of a, of a working group that was called the Lenders Working Group That's together awesome. with other financiers. We worked on a, on a due diligence process that is standardized that also helps developers know what to expect when they are trying to raise money for those projects because that's also challenging. There's no, there's not a set in stone, you know, form or an application that you can go and ask for money. It's kind of like one to one basis. And by using this diligence process that is standardized that has been reviewed by the Department of Energy, it's also easier for those project developers to, to raise money. So there's a lot of a lot of connections that we have been making through this amazing um, partnership. So do you have more projects than you can service right now? <laughs> Way more projects than we can service. So we started um, looking for projects, sourcing projects, and we actually have our pipeline pretty much covered for the next five years. By looking at, yeah, by looking at the, we signed 15 letters of intent with project developers. And if we count how many potential projects that can be, it actually amounts to $2 billion worth of renewable energy projects. So when it comes to projects, wow. we have projects that need um, financing and that really speaks to the need in the market of yeah. really addressing small and medium sized projects. My my startup coach helmet is going on because I'm wondering uh, how you qualify and filter through that pipeline to determine which projects you want to prioritize. And I imagine right now you have certain qualifiers around, uh, again, uh, renewable energy and the uh, um, social impact and community uh, element. Uh, are, are there any other things that that are emerging as qualifiers that make you want to really move quickly on? 
uh, a project that comes in or that's sitting in your pipeline? Definitely. First of all, I just want to be very clear with this. We always have the best interest of our investors in mind. So when we diligence project, we really make sure that it is a safe project, that it is a worthwhile investment opportunity. So there's different things that we look at. First of all, it's the team behind the project as well. So the same way that when a VC invests in a startup and they talk to the founders, this is the same process. We talk to the project developers, ensure they have a strong track record, look at their past projects. So we really want to make sure that that project developer has experience and again, um, has had a lot of success stories in the past um, five years. And then aside from that, we also look at the project stage. I don't know if you're very familiar with project finance, but I can kind of like cover it quickly for... This is make um, sense. So please make sense of renewable energy project financing for all of us, please. Perfect. Uh, Yes, I will cover it kind of uh, quickly, but I will make sure it makes sense for everyone. Um, Basically, there's three main stages. So there's the development stage where there's basically no project. Uh, you're looking at the permitting, the interconnection. You're just making sure that the site um, is also appropriate. So it's basically everything that you have to do behind the scenes until you decide, yes, let's go for this project. That's a very high risk space because maybe the decision after carrying that, carrying out that investigation is, well, this is not something that we want to go for, right? And then there's no way to get mm-hmm. your money back. So that's the development stage. Obviously high risk, but then there is a high reward to it as well. Construction is when you've gone through development and you actually want to proceed and make that project a reality. So you get your contractors, you start developing, and then you build the project. And then there's the operational phase. So the project is already operating, but during, let's say, a 15-year PPA, there is the O&M and just, you know, like making sure that the project is is what is O-N-M? Yeah, so it's basically when the project developer comes and makes sure that maintenance uh, is working well, The oper- it's operations and maintenance, so that the project is functioning well. If something happens with uh, with a panel, they replace it. I'm talking about solar, but this can apply to other technologies as well. So it's just, uh, again, making sure that during those 15 years, if anything happens, that you're there to, to support the project. So is that where you're investing is the operational and maintenance phase? The the thing is already built. Exactly. So we provide generally bridge loans in between construction and the operational phase. So that means that the project has substantially reduced its risk because the project is already there. And basically it is a way to reimburse the development and the construction that investors and then move into the operations of the project. This is an example. So as a platform, we could we could enter at the development stage. We could enter in the construction phase. So we, we're really flexible, but we found this to be a great sweet spot because the risk profile is, again, pretty attractive and, and the returns are also still pretty competitive. And when you say risk profile, you mean it, it's a fair, it's, it's the most de-risked of the, of the stages. And that means that, you can say to your in community of individual investors that, that it, this is a, a pretty safe uh, investment, right? Exactly. It's, it's not totally guaranteed returns, but 
it, it's yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's in the end when we talk about investment you know it's important i just want to you know really make sure that everyone understands that it is an investment you can lose your money you need to do your own research and make sure that you can lose that money without compromising yourself mm-hmm. but uh, when you look at project finance it is a very safe space if you compare it to the development stage of the projects and with project developers you can also make sure that if they have a very good track record some of them have a 95 percent hit rate in development so i say it's high risk because i'm comparing it but obviously doing uh, your research and diligence you can decrease that that risk uh, pretty substantially actually I imagine eventually when you have a larger community of investors, what they look for in and what excites them will start to inform your pipeline and which projects you pull up and prioritize. It, It seems like it's probably too early. You only launched five, six weeks ago now at this point. Yes, uh, yeah. we're pretty early, but we, we've been um, getting uh, a ton of feedback. And actually, I'm pretty grateful to all of our investors just because they've been very active in reaching out and providing um, insights about their experience, what they liked, what could be improved. And I would say one of the things that we've seen be the most attractive is impact matches returns and a term that they feel comfortable with. But Many of those investors really looked uh, or are looking for transparency and making sure that their money is going to something they believe in, that it is aligned with their values. So because we're providing so much transparency and the, the impact of the project is there, there's a lot of investors who feel very comfortable in making a commitment because that's what they, they're looking for. So how many uh, individual investors, uh, again, with my startup hat on, um, I think, how many, you know, user accounts do you have versus how many individ- how many have made investments at this point? Sure. We only had one project. So, I mean, this is our first project. We're launching the next two. Probably when this um, episode is released, we already have some new projects out there. We've had roughly 50 investors for this first uh, project and uh, we've seen people actually invest substantially more than what we initially anticipated. And um, well, we've, we've seen it gone pretty well. One of the things that we were surprised about with the launch is that normally when you put a project out there, the raises last 90 days and this project was funded in less than 30 uh, that's the reason why uh, we still don't have a second project up, just because it was funded so quickly. You weren't expecting it to be so quick. <laughs> yeah, we don't have the time to to put uh, up the next two, but the two next two are pretty much ready ready to go at this point. So, well, we can be strategic about when we release this podcast to make sure that everyone that is listening has a few projects or two projects to to pick from. Uh, so, so we could. We can work on that. Because uh, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> like now I would just want to ask, you know, what do what what tell me what I do? I I, I put a note, I'm um, download climatize. Uh, I download the app. Just take me through the first couple 
steps, you know, it's always good to for new users to know what to expect. You know, do I have to create an account right away? Do I get to look at the project before I create an account? Tell me, tell me what the steps are to getting set up. Sure. So you download the app and um, after downloading, you can directly browse the projects. You don't have to create an account. We think that that's, again, very important. We don't want to make anyone go through the onboarding flow if they don't want to make uh, an investment. So you can browse the project, like the one that you want to invest in and learn more. And inside the project page, there's different information. So you can learn about the goal of the project. You can see who the team behind it is. Obviously, the financials. There's pictures, there's videos, social media accounts of the developers. And then one of the the pieces of that um, project page that I really like is the discussion channel. So again, when I say transparency and trust is important for us, it's just truly important. And it's the channel where you can actually make questions and ask questions to the developers directly. So Mm -hmm. you don't need to ask climatize. You can directly talk to the project developers, post a question, and they will get back to you with, with their answer. So it's a way of connecting those investors with with the with the actual project as as well. And That's then awesome. once you've decided to make an investment, you can just hit invest. Then you go through the onboarding, and you will receive an email with you know confirmation of your investment. And um, that's pretty much it. It's a pretty uh, simple app. We just want to make it easy and uh, and again automatic, fast for those of you who are interested in. It sounds so exciting. My brain is tickling with ideas, but I do not want to sidetrack this conversation. So I'm going to keep them to myself and maybe write them on a piece of paper and slip them to you afterwards. I can't help myself. Um, All of that is so awesome. And I am in awe of you. So I want to move into our final segment. Who needs a safety net? In this segment, I ask my guests to share the risks, failures, nay, learning lessons of entrepreneurship and creating their path into the future. Alba, I want to start with something we both have in common. Uh, We're both, unfortunately, still somewhat of an anomaly as women with engineering degrees. What made you decide to... Uh, take that leap to study engineering in college? Sure. Um, Yes. I mean, it is undoubtedly a male-dominated industry. And the first thing that they told me when I said I want to be an engineer was, are you sure? (laughs) So that was something that they didn't ask my, my male colleagues. And the reason why I decided to study engineering is actually because I love to challenge myself. So I love challenges. I love things that are hard and I knew that engineering was known to be a hard degree. So that's why I went for it. I obviously loved physics. I loved math. I was fairly good at it as well, but the challenge was what made me go for it. And a way of really making this better for women is increasing the representation. I know it's tough, but like, for me, it wasn't a deterrent to know that it was a male-dominated industry. It wasn't a problem, but I know that there's a lot of women who are considering studying engineering or other STEM uh, careers that just decide not to go for it because 
again, there's a lack of representation and it's also scary and you're also not encouraged to go for it. So I just think we need to start super early. We need to educate girls, educate boys, show them that there is no such thing as, you know, gender roles and um, that they should be free to choose their own career path regardless of, of their gender. So now I think about this sometimes. Uh, did you have a, a man in your life that studied engineering? My dad did, yes. Okay, so my dad studied engineering too. I don't know where I heard the statistic or whatever, or whatever, but it was something like 95% of women that study engineering have a man in their life, a brother, a father that also studied engineering. And it goes back to what you said is, is you, you can't be what you can't see, right? Rep- representation does matter. And, and so for those of us women that had dads or brothers that studied engineering, we could see it. And because we share other personality characteristics with them and we enjoy probably some of the similar hobbies, we realize that this is something that we can do too. And I don't know about you, but my dad was so proud of me studying engineering. It made him incredibly happy that that I did that. So it was very encouraging. Uh, There were about, in my engineering major, systems and information engineering, we had about a third of my class was women. But when I look at a lot of their LinkedIn's, very few of them are working in technology anymore. Uh, very few actually went into engineering fields. So, I, where did where did you start your career? Uh, were you planning to go into engineering before Climatize? I actually was pretty sure. I mean, I didn't really have the chance to think about it enough, but I was 100% sure it would be something related to renewable energy. So I didn't know if it would be very technical or not that technical, but at least the field was there. And I did two master's degrees. So one of them was in renewable energy engineering and the other one in sustainable energy technologies. But yeah, I didn't have really the the time to think if I wanted to get into the tech side of things. I, I would be open to it. I don't have any, yeah, I don't have any strong no's for it, but I do enjoy my my work role as a founder. And I have to say, I'm also really related with the, with the energy project. So I'm the one who's really sourcing, diligencing the projects in the company. So I would say it's the most technical role that we have. Right. Right So you're absolutely using your engineering degree. And when I say technical, I just mean broadly using, Mm -hmm. just say using your engineering degree uh, in a a technology or engineering related industry, which, which you are in. So what's been your experience as a woman in engineering? And, And I hate that question because you don't know what any other experience is. (laughs) Right. But are people surprised when you tell them that you studied engineering, when you talk to maybe some older men behind these big projects? Do they do you do you have to pause them and let them know what your background is so that you guys can speak on a more intelligent level? It does happen a lot. So there is a lot of meetings that I have where the other person doesn't realize that I 
totally know what we're talking about. So they <laughs> give me a lot of, they try to explain every single step. And then I'm like, oh, no need. <laughs> you know, like I know exactly what we're talking about. So it does happen. And I'm just open about my background. So they know exactly why I'm there. And, and, and again, I don't blame them. I actually appreciate that they, you know, like are open and go through the steps. But um, yes, obviously that comes from a position of, well, they don't know exactly what my background is. And if someone needs to take an educated guess, the majority of people wouldn't say I'm an engineer. And I'm telling you because I've tried many times when I meet someone and they ask me, what do you do or what's your background? My answer is always guess. And the only person that ever said you're an engineer was uh, a colleague of mine in university. I didn't know we studied together, but I made the question. <laughs> so he kind of said, he knew. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you're the first person who ever, you know, like, like guessed this. And he was like, well, Alba, I've actually seen you in university. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. <that> was awesome. <laughs> it, you know, it's really funny. I think, you know, sometimes um, in the world of it, it just, you know, women's rights and feminism we talk a lot about mansplaining and how some men kind of overstep to explain too much even when it's you know clear that the woman has those credentials but I appreciate what you said because I have always felt like I'm not offended when someone super technical is trying to explain something to me and I've always felt comfortable saying hey if it makes it easier on you, I took my, you know, 101 and 201 computer science classes, you know, like I took database management, we can talk. And you don't have to worry about uh, trying to explain all this stuff to me. I I never really saw it as offensive, right? It's just that I know that people are not going to assume that I have, you know, six years of engineering and technology education under my belt. Uh, so I, I appreciate that. It seems like that's your attitude, too. And I usually insert it in there because I don't want to listen to them explain something. I already know. I'm like, let's get to the point here. <laughs> but I always come from the from an opinion of, you know, like people have their best interest, like, best intentions I I don't judge people right away so if someone tr- tries to explain something to me I would never get offended then I say hey I actually know what you're talking about and then if that person continues with a mansplaining maybe then I'm not as you know maybe then I'm not as understanding but I would think that again giving people the information <laughs> that you're studying a certain thing or not uh, is that for for sure. Well, Alba, you definitely know what you are talking about. This has been such a great conversation. Let's make it make sense. How can we make sense of the value of our individual com- contributions uh, bring to the fight against climate change? A ton, ton of value, but Climatize is giving us another opportunity that is more positive oriented, right? It's not just about sacrifices. It's about uh, putting your money towards really valuable projects and and, and potentially seeing a return. Uh, it is an investment. So 
you should only invest what you feel comfortable investing. I learned that, Alpha. I heard you say it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Make Sense with me, your host, Lindsay Tabus, and guest, Alba Forns. We hope you enjoyed our take on uh, climate change, climate projects, and investing. Alba, where can people find you online? LinkedIn is the easiest, probably. I, I tend to be pretty active there, so please, LinkedIn. And then you can also find Climatize there. That's that's probably our our most active channel right the, now. Where do you say? Is it, it well, climatize.earth is your website, and you can yes. download the app. Are you on Instagram, TikTok? Where, where are you guys posting content? everywhere but um yes if you go to the website all of our social media accounts are there but i would say we're the most active on linkedin and instagram and our name is climatize on linkedin and instagram i think it's climatize underscore earth okay all right well (laughs) final note if you want to continue to be the smartest person in the room obviously make sure you're getting notified when each episode hits on YouTube, smash that subscribe for next week's episode. And for audio only, follow wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Alba, for joining me.